You are listening to the Manifesting God podcast with your host, Marie Elizabeth. This podcast will uplift and thrust you into the manifestation of the promises of God in your life. Good evening and welcome to the Manifesting God podcast. Thank you all so much for joining me. I am so glad to see you all today. I count it an honor that you would join me on this evening. I don't take your presence for granted. I don't take your time for granted. And I'm so very glad, very glad to see all of you today. Listen, today we're going to take a look into the book of Isaiah. And this is, we know, a large book, but we're going to take a brief look into the book of Isaiah. A little background on Isaiah because it is relevant that we understand what his message is and that we understand that he understood his message. His name means the Lord saves. And here's something that's of a rarity. Isaiah was married. So you will hear a lot of his reference. He understood marriage. He was married. He had two sons and he wrote during a time where the there was an expansion of the Assyrian empire and a decline in Israel. So much like much like a true prophet of God, his work, his writings were a warning to Judah. His writings were a warning. Prophets, we bring a warning. And his warning was the same as prophets today, that sin will lead to captivity. And while we do not see armies literally coming in and taking us and carting us off to their country or making us uh, their slaves or their workers. It is happening. It does exist today. Sin still, sin still brings about a captivity, still brings about a captivity. Also, much like the true prophet, Isaiah often uh, references he often references my mind. I am like thinking in paragraph 18 and I'm still in paragraph one. So let me slow down. Much like two true prophets and prophetess, Isaiah often references earlier events in Israel's history. And he does that as a reminder, as a reminder. And what we're going to see um, through reading through chapter four and chapter three is that these are not things, what he's saying to them, um, I'm going to point out to you a point where he's saying things to them. And literally there's a point where it's like history is repeating itself. We we trust God. Um, we stay with God. We're focused on God. Um, um, and a lust or insecurity that we have not dealt with lures us back in a, a lust or insecurity that we have not been cleansed of cleansed of completely lures us back in lured them back in to the point where they were back to disobedience again with God then comes captivity then comes the battles that you lose and then comes captivity next thing you know you are a slave to your captor that sin you're a slave to that sin and Isaiah here is bringing about points to this to this body to tell them hey wrong way wrong way wrong way but they've decided they've made a decision that 
they rather follow their lust. They'd rather um, allow their insecurities to guide their footsteps rather than God. And so they operate for a time in a place of, um, of sin, of um, being a foreigner to God in their relationship with God and their covenant with God. And then they get to a point where literally they are taken over by their own sins, by their own choices by their own choices. Now, this book of Isaiah is broken up into two parts. There's one part that's considered to be the book of judgment, and that's from chapters one through 39. And then there's another part that's considered to be the book of comfort, 40 and 66, chapters 40 through 66. And it's important that we recognize that when the prophet comes with the word of rebuke, a word of, um, a word of um, basically to snatch you out by fire from your own mindset, from your own way of doing things, from you doing things apart from the covenant of God that you agree to. When that prophet comes to rebuke that, there's also going to be a word that's, that says, but if, but if you would turn from that, God will hear you. He will heal the land. If, but if there's always also a word of comfort when that prophet or prophetess comes, yes, we do come and we're hard when we come, but there's also a word that says, but God, that, that mercy that God says, but if you will hear me, if you will turn, I in turn will rescue you. I will rescue you. So let's go to Isaiah in four and let's go to uh, verse one. And it says, um, and I'm going to tell you my topic in a minute. I'm going to keep going. And then I'm, you're going to see where I'm going with this. Verses four, I'm um, chapter four and one of Isaiah. It says, and in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel, only let us be called by thy name. By Be called by thy name. Highlight that in your electronic device. Highlight that in your paper Bible. Let us be called by thy name. To why? To take away our reproach. To take away our reproach. The American Standard Bible, and that was the King James Version, it says it like this, seven women will take hold of one man on that day. And we're going to talk about that day and what that day looks like in Isaiah 3. But it says seven women will take hold of one man saying, we will eat. We will eat our own food and wear our own clothing. Only let your name be given us. Put an end to our disgrace, meaning put an end to our conditions by which we are shamed. Just give us your name and that will put an end to the conditions by which we have been shamed. That will put an end to our disgrace. That will put an end to our reproach. So the question today, the question I have for you today is simply, what is in a name? What is in a name? What is in a name? 
Okay. Why am, why, why the name? Why just the name? Why the request for only the name from that man? Why only the request of only the name? Is it the authority that they're after? Is it uh, the headship that they're after that's being asked? Or is it more? And what happens should the authority or the headship, the man, agree to surrender his name? her name. What exactly is going to happen when they surrender their name and their name only, their name only. See, because the covenant of God requires more than just the name. So we're going to get into that a little bit more. Isaiah and three, let's go to that. Why the request for the name? For that, let's go back to Isaiah three. And we're going to answer that question in Isaiah 3, where it says in verse 1, for behold, the Lord God of hosts is going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah, both supply and support, the whole supply of bread, which is nourishment, and the whole supply of water, which is refreshing or refreshment. And this is Isaiah prophesying this in Isaiah three. And he's talking about God removing the leadership, removing the headship, removing the authority. And not only is he going to remove the supply of bread, the nourishment, and the whole supply of water, which means drought, dry, he's going to remove that. And that's going to be the consequence. There will be a drought. There will be dryness. So the refreshing is gone. He's also going to remove the mighty man and the warrior. So he's removing the protection. He's removing the protection. He's removing the judge and he's removing the prophet, the diviner and the elder. So he's removing the judge and the prophet, the warning. He's removing the warning, the diviner and the elder. He's even removing the demonic forces that you would go to substitute. He's removing the substitutions for him. He's removing them. He's removing the captain of 50. So there's no, there's no army. There's no army. He's removing the captain of 50. So there's no order and the honorable man, the counselor. So you get no advice, the expert artesian and the skillful enchanter. He's removing those that are opposite to the captain of 50 and the honorable man and the counselor. He's removing it. So you have, you can't even go to the diviner. He's moving even the demonic tools that you would use to substitute coming to him is what Isaiah is saying. So the nourishment and the refreshing, the leadership, the headship will be removed. And the verse tells us in its place, in its place. Now listen to this in verse four, in its place. And I want you to think about this because we're seeing a lot of this today. Even though Isaiah prophesied in his time, we're seeing a lot of it today. Verse four says, I will, I'm, I'm removing those things now, I'm removing the nourishment, the refreshing, the leadership, the headship. I'm removing all of those. And in its place, I'm going to put mere lads, their princes. And Capricious children will rule over them. 
And that is defined as a, a capricious person, a capricious person, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, is someone or something that is subject to sudden and unpredictable changes. Of course, because it's a child. So they're still growing. So they're unpredictable in their actions. They're unpredictable in their words. You know, they're they're just they're unpredictable in, in what they do and say. They are fickle, inconsistent, mercurial, and unstable. And that word mercurial, let's look at that. That's the Roman god Mercury. It's the god of merchants and thieves. It has qualities of eloquence, ingenuity. Thievishness attributed to the God of Mercury or the influence of the planet Mercury. And then it's unpredictably changeable. So in the place of the wise nourishment and refreshing that we receive from leadership and headship, in its place, Isaiah is saying, comes the child, comes the child, comes the child that is sudden, that is unpredictable, fickle, inconsistent, um, um, a merchant, a thief of elegance and their ingenuity. That's what God is going to put in the place because you didn't, and Isaiah saying here, because you didn't appreciate the wise leadership that nourished you, that fed you, that provided for you, that explained God to you, that helped you enter into covenant with God. You didn't appreciate that. So now you get the child. And the people, verse five says, will be oppressed each by one another and each one by his neighbor. The youth will storm against the elder and the inferior against the honorable. Do we not see that today playing out? So we can kind of visualize what Isaiah is telling them in this chapter. He's saying that the youth they're going, and we see that today where youth no longer respect the elder and their and the inferior are against the honorable so the the honorable are being disrespected by those who have a quarter of the skill set and the wisdom and the experience that they have the same for the elders are being disrespected by the youth when verse 6 says when a man lays hold of his brother in his father's house saying, you have a cloak, you shall be our ruler, and these ruins will be under your charge. So blame, so blame. He will protest on that day, verse seven says, and says, and say, I will not be your healer, for in my house, there is neither bread nor cloak. There is neither provision nor covering. You should not appoint me the ruler of the people. So they don't even want the elder don't even want to rule, don't even want the responsibility of ruling. God says, this is what I'm going to leave you with. I'm going to leave you with people that do not even want the responsibility, the responsibility of guiding, the responsibility of rulership. And then verse eight says, for Jerusalem, which means teaching of peace has stumbled. So he's saying, I'm doing this because the teaching of peace has stumbled. And Judah, which means praise, has fallen. So the teaching of peace has stumbled and praise has fallen because their speech 
and their actions are against the Lord and they, the speech of peace and praise to rebel against his God, the glorious presence. So now speech and peace and what would be speech and peace and praise to God is now rebellion. It is now rebellion. This is Isaiah saying, this is what's going to happen because God's removing the leadership from you. Verse nine says, the expression of their faces bears witness against them and they display their sin like Sodom. They do not even conceal it. Woe to them for they have brought evil on themselves. So sin is open now. Sin, he's saying, once the leaders are moved out of the way, there's no more nourishment. There's no more peace. Peace has stumbled. Praise has fallen. So what's going to happen? The the sin now can be out, will be can and will be out in the open. No more concealing it because they have brought evil on themselves. So they do not care. They do not care. But Isaiah also brings about a hope. He says to the righteous that it will go well with them for they will eat the fruit of their actions. The righteous will. They will eat the fruit of their actions. But woe to the wicked. It will go badly for them for what he deserves will be done unto him. So we don't have to, the righteous, all we have to focus on is staying in our, in our covenant with the Lord God, and it will go well with us. We don't have to, um, we don't have to worry and fret about the wicked because the wicked, it's going to go badly for them. And I'm going to tell you, we see it today in the world where the wicked are really, really showing their wickedness in detail, in detail, every day, all day. But what they forget or what they don't understand is because you're wicked in the public eye, in the public eye, it's going to go badly for you in the public eyes. And verse 12 says, oh, my people, their oppressors are children and women rule over them. No leadership, meaning children who are oppressors and women who rule. Oh, my people, those who guide you, they lead you astray and confuse the direction of your past. Why is it that the oppressors are children, Isaiah is telling them? Why is it that the women are ruling over them, Isaiah is telling them? Why are they being led astray? And why are their paths confused? Their paths are confused because they are being led by children who are unpredictable, who are merchants, who are thieves. They are elegant. They have ingenuity, but they also are thievishness, meaning they are thieves. They are unpredictably changeable. And then you have, you have, you have those that could lead. They have no desire to lead. They had no desire to lead, none at all. And we see that the teaching of peace, it stumbled. The praise has fallen. And because of this, because of this, or because of this, because the leaders have been moved out of the way, this 
is and will be, Isaiah is saying, if Israel does not repent, if Judah does not repent, this will be their portion. Isaiah is telling us that leadership and headship will be removed without the supply of nourishment and refreshing that comes from leadership. All of these things happen. All of these things he's telling, he's telling Judah, if you do not repent, this is your portion. This is your portion. And ultimately he goes to verse four. And after all this has happened, this is when you have women who are gravitating towards one man saying, give me your name. Give me your name only. I don't need you to provide for me. I don't need you to clothe me. I need nothing from you. I only need your name. That takes us to the second question. Why? Why? Why is the name alone being asked in chapter four after all that Isaiah is saying will happen in chapter three? Is it, again, the authority, the headship that is being asked, or is it more? To understand the ask, we have to look at who is asking. And chapter four tells us it's seven women, not necessarily theologians say seven women, but what they're trying to exhibit to us is the the multitude of women that are trying to get at one man trying to get the name of one man. You should be sharing this, as my apostle says. You should be sharing this. We're talking about not only is it just seven women, but a multitude of women that will take hold of one man on that day saying, we will eat our own food, wear our own clothing. Just give us your name. Now, when they're saying that that they're going to eat their own bread, They're literally saying, I'll forego the privileges of the law. And the law in Exodus 21.10 gives to wives saying that a man has to provide. It has to provide. Um, They are looking for this. They don't want, I should say, the provision of of food, shelter, clothing, because they just want the reproach removed from them which has many possibilities. It could be an unwedded child or unwedded woman, a childless woman. And it could be, um, it could be the, you know, just a woman just looking. It could be a man, just the man that agrees to this could just be a man looking for a seed to carry on his name. So it could be many possible reasons why they're reaching out to the man just for his name alone. But I'm going to show you there's a bigger meaning. There's a bigger meaning behind reaching for a name alone. I'm going to show you what is in a name. So why the name and the name only? The name and the name only is simply to preserve the race of mankind upon the earth. The goal is to legitimize what is birthed in the earth for the earth's purpose. The seven seek one man for one name to bring about a legitimacy to what they birth in the earth. There is not a request for provision or a child from that man, just a name, not a request for a provision. 
We didn't see that. They didn't request a child from that man. They just wanted his name. His name alone could condone and legitimize whatever they choose to birth, whatever they choose to birth, not necessarily by that name, but he's giving them, they're asking for permission to use that name to legitimize whatever they birth in the earth. Do we not see that to get today where true men and women of God are being sought after, are being sought after, especially our apostles um, to be, to be, because apostles are spiritual fathers, to be that covering, that shield. Just, just give me your name so that I can birth Whatever I want to birth, I'm not asking you to provide for me. I don't need you to, this scripture is saying, I don't need you to provide nourishment for me. I don't need you to provide a refreshing for me. I don't need you to, to, to provide a means of living for me, even though rightfully so as a father or as a husband, those would be things that you provide. I'm not asking that of you. I just want your name because once I have your name, I can birth, I can birth whatever I choose, wherever I choose and put your name on it and put your name on it. You see, it was threatened in Isaiah 3 and 25 that the mighty men should fall by the sword uh, in war. Since there would be a scarcity of men, even though marriage could possibly preserve men in the earth, this usual method would be forever altered. How so? Where men ordinarily would court to the court the woman, instead the woman takes hold of the man, foolishly fearing as if um, there would not be an, enough men left right? So they, they foolishly are grabbing at men as if there's, you know, not going to be enough left so that when God, when they, so that like, if they repented, that God wouldn't, that there wouldn't be men left for marriage, for, for childbirth, for relationship, and get this, for covenant, for covenant, for covenant. So the attack here is against relationship. The attack here is against relationship. Hence, the attack here is get against covenant, against covenant. And the second issue comes by way of changing the law, covenant. By law, the husband was obligated to provide food and raiment for his wife, Exodus 21 and 10, which with many would be the most powerful argument against multiplying wife, wives because you had to provide for all those wives. You had to provide for them. The women, instead, these women, what they were saying is, I'll support myself. I'll eat the bread of my own earning. I'll wear apparel from my own working. And the man has no expense upon them. They only had to agree to the use of their name to take away the reproach of a single life a single life. So let's take it to the New Testament where Paul says, on the contrary, thinks that the single state is preferable in the time of distress. And here in Isaiah, 
God is taking the leadership away. That is a time of distress. But instead, they prefer to grab hold to one man, take, you know, it's almost like a plot. Let me, let. okay, so it's a time of distress. However, if I can get a man to just give me his name and I can make the argument of, you know, we're in stressful times, so you don't have to provide for me. You don't have to nourish me. You don't have to provide for me a home. You don't have to provide for me clothes or food or anything like that. I will do that on my own perhaps he'd be more willing to give me his name, to give me his name. First Corinthians 7 and 26, which is where the providences were at the time of Isaiah's prophecies in Isaiah 3, 18. This is where they were, but they remained unhumbled. They were in a distressed state, but they remained unhumble. And instead of of repenting of their pride and vanity when God was contending with um, them for them, all they cared about was getting husbands because some considered their virginity even a reproach. Being a widow was, they were considering it a reproach or being single, they were considering that a reproach. Virtue had been ultimately desolated. Virtue was no longer a good thing. It was no longer a good thing. The misunderstanding or the deception is clear. The desire for a name was to bring about legitimacy to what was birthed. What is birthed does not have to come through the God intended relationship is what they were saying of actually being married, where a husband fulfills his duties, one being provision. Just to name a few. Just allow me to attach um, to attach your name to mine and whatever I birth so that we, me and what I birth are now legitimate. But there's an undercover theme that arises out of this text. Now, let's understand what God is saying here. If the woman only desires the name, no provision, no relationship, all of which are a part of God's law at the time of Isaiah's prophecy, then what they are saying is, I don't desire your God. Just as today, if all they want is your name, they can't hear a rebuke from you. They can't, uh, they won't allow leadership to position them. They won't allow leadership to nourish them with the word of God. They won't allow leadership to provide for them manna from heaven. What they're saying to you is I just, and saying, I just want your name is I don't desire your God. The point to be made here is that unless what is birthed is birthed through covenant relationship, it is not recognized by God. There is a lot to covenant relationship. It's all of the things that I just mentioned and some. You don't get to run off in covenant relationship. There are hard times in covenant relationships. There are disagreements in covenant relationships. There are teaching 
and teachable moments in covenant relationships. There is submission in covenant relationships. Hosea 1 says it like this, and I'm just going to tell you a little story about Gomer. Gomer was Hosea's wife, and she conceived and she gave birth to a daughter. This is Hosea 1 and 6. The Lord then says to Hosea, call the daughter Lo, Lo Ruhama, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel that it should be forgiven them. After she had weaned that baby, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, call him Lo Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people and I am not with God. And then he tells the children to plead with their mother, plead. For she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. And I will have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms. So in that name, in taking on that name, because you choose not to engage or because it is chosen, Judah chose not to, the women chose not to engage in a covenant relationship. Anything they engaged in outside of that name and outside of a covenant relationship was whoredoms, was whoredoms. Why? Because it led to fulfilling the desires of their flesh and their needs with no consideration of relationship or of covenant, of covenant. Now, why, 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 why was it said here in verse four, I will not have mercy upon her children for they be children of whoredoms. And here it is right here, because their mother in verse five played the harlot. She conceived them. She done shamefully. She said, I will go after my lovers and I'll give them my bread and my water. So the bread and the water that I do not want you to give me that I'm going to earn on my own. I want to earn it on my own because I want to give it to who I want to give it to is what the women are saying. I want to give it what I earn. I want to earn what I earn and give it where I I want to give it. I don't want to sow it into covenant relationship. I don't want to sow it into a relationship that is that um that forces me to be committed, a relationship of give and take. So I don't want the give and take. I want the give and take to be where I want it to be. I want it to go where I want it to go. And what happens should the authority or the headship agree and surrender the name and the name only? Well, the lack of headship forfeited with the name becomes a squandered name. It opens the door for a lack of covenant and the requirements of the covenant. When you give away your name without the agreement of covenant, Without the understanding of the requirements of covenant, of covenant, you are setting yourself up for a name that will be squandered. You are setting yourself 
up for a name that will be squandered. There is a lot in a name. We're talking about what's in a name. So what's in a name? Proverbs 22 says it like this. In one, a good name is rather to be chosen than riches a lo- and loving favor rather than silver and gold. So a good name with love, love and favor is better than silver and gold. The rich and the poor and in a good name, they meet together because the Lord is the maker of them all. Verse three says, a prudent man foreseeth evil and hideth himself, but the simple they pass on and are punished. So what is in a good name? Protection. They have wisdom. They foresee the evil. They foresee the evil and they hide themselves. Verse four says, by humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. So what's in a good name? Wealth. Wealth is in a good name. Verse five says, thorns and snares are in the way of the forward. He that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. What is in a good name, you ask? generational wisdom, wisdom. Why? Because they have their eyes on the Lord. So they have discernment and with the Lord's eyes, discernment discernment secures and saves knowledge so as to destroy the words of the transgressor. What is in a good name? Protection, wealth, discipline, generational wisdom. I'm trying to help you to understand what you are protecting when you are protecting your name against those who do not want to enter into covenant and the requirements of covenant. Psalms 22 and 12 says it like this, the eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge and he overthroweth the words of the transgressor. In order to receive, in order to recognize the tools and the weapons of the enemy, when they are exercised toward us, we have to know ourselves in order not to be deceived by the enemy so that we forfeit our name to those who do not desire covenant or relationship. We have to know ourselves. We have to know our strengths. We have to know our weaknesses. We have to know our weaknesses. Do you not understand that weakness is not a curse word? That is not a curse word. We all have them. Why? Because God placed us in the body as it pleases him. And each joint is supposed to supply the other. So where I am weak, what I'm joined to is strong. So they strengthen my weakness so that my weakness is not a weakness at all because I am joined in unity. Another example of that might be marriage, might be marriage. For those of us who are married, we understand that our spouses are usually strong in an area that we are weak and they are weak in an area that we are strong. And what it does is it allows for us to be a help me. My being strong where my husband is weak allows for me to be a help me. 
I wouldn't be much of a help me if I provided no help. And he wouldn't be the man that found a good thing when he found a wife and received the favor from the Lord because the favor that he received is the help me. Is the help me. He found the strength for his weakness. And I did the same thing when we married. I found the strength for my weakness so that we could be perfectly fit together perfectly fit together, perfectly joined and knitted firmly together by the joint, by what each joint supplies, by what each joint supplies. Why? Because each of us are working properly. We continually cause the body, our relationship to grow and to mature as one in the body of Christ. We build ourselves up in an unselfish love, Ephesians 4 and 16, because we allow and we understand our strengths. And as we say in corporate America, our opportunities, we understand them. We understand them. So I look for him to understand what I don't. And he looks for me to understand what I don't, what he does not. So you have to be careful when you get around people that know everything. Nobody knows what they know. They know every single thing. They can't hear anyone. See, this is the thing you have to understand. To give voice, to give voice to that to that statement, to give voice to um, that, to give voice to the statement that says, I know everything. I don't need any help. Nobody knows more than me. To give voice to that way of thinking is dismissing your help. So be careful when you're around people and they're saying, I don't need, I don't need you to tell me anything. I know, I know, I know, I know everything. So you've experienced everything and you know everything. So what you're saying to me is I don't need your help. So you're dismissing my help. So where, where, when, where, where, where we could have been joined and I could have supplied a, a need that you needed and you could have supplied an, something that I needed. Now we're unable to join. And if we are joined, you're unable to receive from me, which leaves you at a deficit and it leaves you at a lack. It leaves you in lack. See that this is the kind of thing where where we where we really think we've got this. We've got this. And so God sends prophets or prophetess like me to tell you and make it clear, no you don't got this. You do not got this. If we had this, then God would have let us keep going down the destructive path that we were on. He would have let us keep going. He would have never shut things down. He's trying to tell us, you don't got this. You're not fitly joined. And if you are joined, you won't receive. So that's why you're in lack because you can't hear from your brother or sister to the left and the right of you. And they have an experience that you have not had that you could benefit from. You could benefit from the wisdom they gained from that experience if you'd listen, 
If you let someone tell you something, and sometimes it could be a case where you don't understand, you frustrate your own grace because God will give you a grace until maturity catches up with wisdom. But your maturity won't catch up with wisdom if you refuse to grow. If you re- And part of growing is understanding your strengths and your weaknesses. That's all part of growing. This is not to say that God no longer has need of us. This is not to say this is to help us to deal with those insecurities in us that will cause us to not to not be fitly joined. See, because those insecurities within us, they're being manipulated by the enemy and they make us a candidate. They make us a candidate for spiritual abortion from the body of Christ. They make us a candidate when we can no longer hear from those that we are supposed to be fitly joined to, those that we that have that are in the same covenant with God that we are in with God. We are setting ourselves up to be a candidate for abortion from the body of Christ. This is why as a Christian, especially a leader in the kingdom of God, we cannot be insecure. We have to be confident in we in what we know, but just as confident in what we don't know. I often say, I don't have to know everything, but I do need to know who does. Why? Because my strength is in who does. My strength is in who does. Our insecurities make us vulnerable to the enemy, to the enemy. There is a truth that is lodged in the security of keeping our name pure so as not to give the enemy access. The goal should be to keep ourselves, thereby our names, pure. That's what's in our name. There's a lot in our name. I listed the things that are in a name. What's in a name? The progression of the price to be paid for maintaining a filthy vessel can only consume an individual. It doesn't allow them to have or to keep a pure name. In in Chronicles 12, uh, 2 and 12, we see part of Rehoboam's story that Solomon's son, um, which provides insight into generations of self-indulgence, right, that consumed them where they'd once been strong where they're once been strong. Um, Let's see, uh, 12 and 1, it talks about how, you know, Rehoboam, Rehoboam, I'm trying to say his name the way I heard it, he forsook, when, when things started being established, when he became established and he became strong, he forsook, the Bible says, the law of Jehovah and Israel with him. He left it all. Everything, once he was strong and once he was established, he forsook the law of Jehovah. One of the issues that we see in the world today is that when we're strong, when we're strong and once we get established, all of a sudden we know everything. All of a sudden, no one can tell us anything. And what happened was Egypt came for him. 
with 1,200 chariots and three score thousand horsemen. And the people were without number that came for him out of Egypt. Now we see where the loss comes in that Isaiah 3 is talking about with no headship because he got strong, right? Because he got established, he forsook God. So now he left Israel with no headship, with no name. Just as I mentioned in Proverbs 22, when there's a lack of protection, wealth, discipline, and wisdom, the name, the name, the name is gone. The name is gone. And verse four says, he took the fortified cities that were a part of Judah and came to Jerusalem. And this is the part that really got me. The king of Egypt came up against him and he took away all the treasures. So he lost everything. He took away the treasures of the house of Jehovah, the treasures in the king house. He took it all away. The shields, everything Solomon made, Egypt took them away. Everything. He took them away. And see, there's a progression here that, that just really, that, that shows me like, oh, this thing done came. It has, it has come full circle because when we think about second Chronicles 12 and 13, when Egypt came for Judah, go back to Exodus 14 and think about when they were enslaved to Egypt. They were enslaved to Egypt, right? And then, you know, uh, Moses came and, and after so many incidents, finally, they decided to let them go. Well, when they let them go, they, they kind of came up to themselves and said, wait a minute, what the heck did we just do? We shouldn't have freed them. So then they go after them and they go after them with 600 chariots and they go after them with all the officers of Egypt. They run after them. But that was Moses in Exodus 14 and Israel. But here we see full circle. This thing done came back around to where, um, came back around in Second Chronicles where Solomon's son, now Egypt is coming for them the children, this is a couple generations later coming for them again. And instead of 600 chariots, they have 1,200 now. Now they have 300,000 horsemen. And now they have so many people coming for them, they can't even be counted. See, full circle, generational wisdom, generational lessons lost, lost because the king decided not to stand up, not to stand up to the name, to the name king that God put on him and he forsook it all. He forsook it all. He left it all several generations down the road after Exodus, double trouble. Now you have double trouble. Why? Because Matthew 12, 43 and 45 says, listen to this. Now, this is kind of to me along the same line, but the unclean spirit, when it is gone out of a man, it passes through what? Waterless places, dry places. We talked about dry places. Isaiah is telling them, you're going to lose your water. You're going to be in a dry place, seeking rest and find if none. So what he did was he went back that demonic force and he went back to the house that he came from. He found that house. It was empty. It was swept and it was garnished. 
Mm -hmm. And then he came back with seven more that evil spirits that were worse and left the person in the worst state than he initially had been in. He left them in a worse state. This is exactly what is happening to Solomon's son. Egypt had came for them twice, generations down the road with double trouble. They're in a worse state. Now you got Isaiah telling them, you're about to be in a dry place. You're about to be in a dry place. You're about to not have any nourishment. You are coming full circle and you're going to be in a worse state than when you started, than when you started. See, the Bible tells us that we have to put aside anything that can offset us, anything that presents itself as a weight and it keeps us from moving freely in God. Those are our insecurities. They're a weight. They're a weight on us that keep us from being fitly joined to the body of Christ, that keep us from being able to fully function in God, in God. See, uh, Hebrews 12 says it like this, wherefore seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, lay aside the weight. We have testimonies. We have people who witness firsthand and let their testimony for us. So pay attention to the testimony for us. If you can hear the testimony, if you are fitly joined, that testimony that you, from the person that you're fitly joined to can help you to lay aside weight and sin. That is weighing you down and is now a stumbling block with you to you, that you're no longer able to run the race with patience. Instead, you're rushing to the finish line. Why? Because you're trying to do it alone, alone, alone. The Bible says um, in Hebrews 12 and two, we should look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who uh, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He endured the suffering because of what was in front of him. He knew the goal in front of him. He despised the shame and he and he went through, but he went through it. And he's now seated at the right hand of the father. See, we've got to read our Bibles to understand what those weights are, what those insecurities are. The more we understand the insecurities that plague us, the insecurities that talk to us, the insecurities that attempt to overrule God in guiding our footsteps because the insecurity wants to drive and because it wants to guide our footsteps. The more we understand those, the more we understand what they're birthed are, what they're birthed out of, the better we're able to protect our name protect our name. Those insecurities, they're born out of sin. Colossians 1 and 14, rejection, which is Ephesians 1 and 5 and 2 and 19 and Romans 8 and 17. They're birthed even out of failures. They're birthed out of failures, Romans 8 and 28. They're birthed out of feelings of inadequacy, which are very easy to come when you've walked, when God has taken you the long road. 
and you see that others have gotten there before you. Feelings of inadequacy are real. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 31, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. If insecurities are also birthed out of being cast aside, treated as unimportant, treated as unimportant, but we have to understand we are chosen by God. John 15 and 16, 1 Corinthians 12 and 18, we are, God has assigned us a unique function in his body, in the body of Christ. So we have a work to do. We have to be able to combat our insecurities with the truth, with the truth. Feelings of inadequacy can be combated when we understand that we can boast in our weakness because it shows God's strength. 1 Corinthians 1 and 27 and 31, I said that. And then our failures, our failures, if we can combat that when we understand our failures work towards an ultimate good, Romans 8 and 28. We can combat rejection when we understand that we are heirs of Christ, Romans 8 and 17. We can combat sin, the, 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 the insecurities that come with sin when we understand that Christ died, his blood redeems us and forgives us of our sin. Colossians 1 and 14. See, reading our Bibles, it, it, it helps us to understand that God does not condemn us. John 8 and 10, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. It helps us to understand that God wants us to rest in him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. It helps us to understand that God will not fail us. Psalms 103, 17. It helps us to, to comprehend and grab hold of the gift of peace that God gives us. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Lastly, it helps us to understand that God is our security and he makes us secure. He makes us secure. Psalms 27 and 5 and 40 and 2. See, our insecurities, and I'm talking to you about what's in a name, because our insecurities will make us sell our name so that we don't feel rejected. We so that we so that we don't feel cast aside, so that we don't feel inadequate. Right. So we'll be selling our name to be accepted amongst people that God has put aside, that God himself hasn't accepted for uh, that, which is double minded and leads a double life is what Isaiah is a prophesy is prophesying about in verse four. Okay, Christians who live double lives, who only seem uh, to be playing with God, uh, his fellow Israelites, and he shared God's hatred for their compromising. This is what Isaiah is telling them in chapter three. He shared God, God hates what you're doing right now. He hates how you refuse to enter into covenant relationship. He hates how you despise the requirements of covenant relationship. So much so that you'd rather just take on someone's name and not receive the benefits thereof just so that you can birth whatever you want to birth. You're that determined to birth whatever you want to birth, that you're willing to just settle for a name rather than a covenant relationship. And Isaiah here, he's challenging them to shape up. 
to love God with all their hearts and their minds. He's challenging them to re-enter into covenant with God. He's challenging them to re-enter into covenant with God. So what's in a name? What's in a name that we don't want to forfeit? There is nourishment and there is refreshment in a name, in a name. God has God has put a, his name in the earth realm. His name is in us and in, un, in our name so that we understand to protect our name is protection. There is wealth in our name. There is discipline in our name. There is wisdom for this generation and generations to come in a name, in our name. So we must guard our name. We must guard our name and not allow our name to be prostituted not allow our name to be prostituted by those who who do not desire a relationship with God. We do not want people to come along and desire our name, but don't desire a covenant with God. They don't desire a covenant with us. They don't want to meet the requirements of a covenant, of a covenant. So we, my prayer today is that we come to value our name. The name of God is in us. We are the salt of the earth and we do not give, we do not give access, right or privilege to someone who wants our name just so that they can birth whatever they want to birth in the earth and not enter into actual covenant with us. They don't want to meet the requirements of the covenant with us because that tells us that they don't want our God. And if they do not want our God, then they do not want us. And we have to begin to see that clear. So my prayer today is that our discernment would be enlightened, that we might know the hope of our calling that is in Christ Jesus, that we would not look to the left or the right for validation, but that we would fix our eyes like a flint on the promises of God, which to us that are righteous, and who are blessed of God are yes and amen. Let's pray. God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord God, we give you glory. We give you honor. We magnify your holy name. He who has put his name in us. And so his name walks in the earth. His name is wisdom in the earth. His name is prosperity in the earth. You, oh God, whose blood was shed so that we can carry your name. We give you glory. We give you honor. And I ask today, God, that you would increase the discernment of the men and women of God, especially your apostles your prophets, your evangelists, your pastors, and your teachers increase today their discernment, oh God, so that they would not forfeit 
or lend their name to the enemy who has no desire to be in covenant, who has no desire to meet the requirements of covenant. And God, I ask you and I thank you because you're doing it. You're raising up covenant people, oh God. And I ask you, oh God, to bring those covenant people to the forefront, God, those who believe in the requirements of the covenant with you, oh God, those that believe in the requirements of the covenant with your men and your women of God in the name of Jesus, oh God. I ask you, oh God, to heal them, God, make them free, God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord God. And as you raise up the true apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers and evangelists, God, in the name of Jesus, oh God, highlight them, God, in the name of Jesus, so that those that are covenant keepers, oh God, can see your light, God, and they can be drawn, God, unto you, God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord God, and God, in the name of Jesus, I ask you, God, to heal the heart of the leaders, God, in the name of Jesus, whose name has been abused through non-covenant keepers, in the name of Jesus, those who despise and step on covenants, in the name of Jesus, heal their hearts now, God, in the name of Jesus, heal their hands for the work, God, in the name of Jesus, heal their minds for the work, God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord, God, so that when those come to them, God, that are the covenant keepers, God, that their arms can be open to receive them, God, in the love, God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord, God, that open their eyes now that they would recognize the true covenant keepers in the name of Jesus, the true requirement requesters in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord God. Oh God, help them to abort that which you have aborted in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord God. Make them whole again, God. Heal their womb again, God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord God. I send my voice out over the airwaves, God, over the world, God, in the name of Jesus. And I speak healing, healing to the minds of your men and women of God. In the name of Jesus, I pray, God, for those who are seeking covenant and want to meet the required requirements, God, but they're going to those who have made a decision that they do not want to leave, that they do not want to engage in covenant promises, God, with your people, God. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would heal your people, God, in the name of Jesus, and direct them to your true men and women of God. In the name of the Lord, God, heal, God, make free, God, in the name of the Lord, God, God, I open their minds in the name of Jesus to receive your requirements now in the name of the Lord God. Make them whole in you, Jesus. In the name of the Lord God, do a mighty thing in them, God. Do a mighty act in them, God. Increase and enlarge, God, now the borders of leadership to receive the covenant keepers in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord God, increase, God, the 
minds of your covenant keepers, oh God, in the name of Jesus, to fulfill, to comprehend, in the name of Jesus, the requirements of the covenant, in the name of Jesus with you, in the name of the Lord God, in the name of Jesus, oh God, open their understanding now that they might know the hope of their calling, take the running out of their feet, God, in the name of Jesus, and replace it with a quiet submission, in the name of the Lord God, with a quiet obedience, in the name of the Lord, give them the will, the will, God, to do, of, and the do of your good favor, in the name of the Lord God, I call now, God, on your blood, God, in the name of Jesus, to cover the hearts and the minds of your people, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord God, speak to them in the midnight hour, God, your covenant promises, in the name of the Lord God, Speak to them, God, in the midnight hour, oh God, your covenant relationship requirements. In the name of the Lord, God, give them a submissive spirit. Give them understanding. In the name of the Lord, God, allow their experience to take them from God, from let the maturity catch up with the wisdom. In the name of Jesus, God, I call for your perfect will to be done and for your kingdom to come. Your perfect your perfect formation reformation to come and your will to be done in the earth room as it is in heaven i usher your will from heaven into the earth realm and into the minds of your people i usher your covenant god from heaven into the earth realm and into the minds of your people now and i cause it to take root in the name of the Lord God, I cause it to grab hold in the name of Jesus, and I cause it to make them anew. Make them anew in you, in you, in you, in you, Lord Jesus Christ, only in you, in Jesus' name, I pray, I pray, I pray, amen, amen. Amen. I admonish you to visit my website, marieelizabeth.org, where there are written materials there for your growth. There's also playbacks of the podcast there for you. There are uh, uh, materials in the store for you. If this podcast blessed you, if it ministered to you, please uh, feel free to donate, feel free to uh, see to see that this ministry can carry on, see to it that this ministry can touch more people. I thank you all so much for joining and for your writing of your letters. I thank you so much, um, LA, Louisiana. I thank you, Alabama. I thank you, South Carolina, North Carolina. I thank you. I appreciate you. Washington, D.C., I appreciate you. Thank you for writing in and letting me know that you are listening and how this podcast blesses you. To sow a seed into this broadcast, I am Cash App Marie Kenyon or I'm PayPal M. Kenyon. I use all proceeds for all the costs that are associated with the podcast, and I just appreciate you just just for how you blessed me for how you you're seeing that this message goes 
forward, how this message extends not only to the United States, but to Africa, to my classmates in Africa. Thank you so much. It's three in the morning there and they get online and they listen. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I hope to visit you soon. And for those in, in, in other countries, I just I just appreciate you. Thank you for listening. And uh, you, you all have a good evening. And I will see you on next Monday at 7 p.m. I love you. Some of my blessings, folks,